The title this morning is this, as we look at Titus chapter 2, it's also as we look a little bit beyond that, the title is, A Call for Women's Ministry in the Local Church, or A Call for Women's Ministry in the Local Church, or an alternate title, if you like, tongue-in-cheek for this one, Why Vody Bauckham is Wrong and the Church Should Have Age-Segregated Ministries. That's an alternate tongue-in-cheek title for you this morning. Some of you are like, what is he talking about? Uh, Titus chapter 2, verse 15. Let's read a bit more. Titus 2, 15. And we'll read a little bit on into chapter 3. Titus 2, 15 says, Declare these things, Paul says to Titus, Exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. And we'll pause there for just a moment. I've given you some titles, but really the theme that we want to think about this morning, the theme that I want to keep before you is this. Lives that commend the gospel. Lives that commend the gospel. Now, we've been speaking a little bit lately about what is called the Great Commission. The Great Commission. And let me just remind you, as many of you know, of what that Great Commission says. Remember, this morning, we're talking about lives that commend the gospel. In what is called, uh, and it's a good name for it, what is called the Great Commission, we read, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, that is, baptizing disciples, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And so today we are talking about lives that commend the gospel. We're talking about evangelism, missions, the great commission, but maybe not in exactly the way that you would think. Let me give you just a few quotes about the great commission. A few quotes about the Great Commission that we just read at the end of Matthew 28. Here's one. We talk of the second coming. Half of the world has never heard of the first. That's Oswald Smith. We talk of the second coming. Half the world has never heard of the first. You may know the name David Livingston from the 19th century. David Livingston was an explorer and medical missionary to southern Africa. He moved throughout the continents, and he died in Zambia from malaria. Here's a couple of quotes from Livingston about the Great Commission. He said this, kind of humorous, If you have men who will only come if they know there is a good road, I don't want them. I want men who will come if there is no road at all. He also said this about the Great Commission. 
Shall I tell you what sustained me amidst the toil, the hardship, and loneliness of my exiled life? It was the promise, lo, I am with you always, even unto the end. Well, this morning, let me tell you where we're going. We'll have four uh, movements, four headings. Let me just give those to you very quickly and tell you where we're going. We want to see the gospel. We want to see the beauty of Titus chapter 2 and its unity and how it goes together. So the gospel, the beauty of the chapter of Titus chapter 2. We want to notice uh, teaching that the world finds laughable. And then we want to see and we want to land on lives that commend the gospel. I've said that multiple times already. I'm going to keep saying it. Lives that commend the gospel. So first of all, first thing that we want to notice this morning, we're going to see this in Titus 3, 4 through 7, is this. You have a beautiful statement of salvation and the gospel. That's the first thing that we see this morning is that you have a beautiful statement of salvation in the gospel, keeping in mind that chapter 2, verse 1 through chapter 3, verse 8 is a unit and all goes together. Keeping that in mind, look with me at chapter 3, verse 4. Paul writes there in Titus 3, 4, But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. Mark that, according to his own mercy. How? By the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The first thing that we see this morning as we look in this short, wonderful book of Titus is that you have a beautiful statement of salvation in the gospel. Not only do we say salvation, which is a, at least for us in the church, it's a very common word, but particularly justification by his grace. Verses four through seven give us the gospel. Now let me point out to you that verse three is not the gospel, but verse three is the necessary, we might say the necessary prelude to the gospel. And let me ask you, do you have, do you have a before and after? We see uh, the after in verses four through seven, but look at verse three. As an old song says, remember your chains. Remember the prison that once bound you before the love of God broke through. Look at verse three. For we ourselves were once foolish disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But, verse 4, but when the goodness, and this is when you get to the gospel. Do you see the before and after? Not everyone's conversion story 
not everyone's testimony is as dramatic as that of the Apostle Paul. But you know, actually, every Christian's testimony is as dramatic in a very real sense because we are all sinners saved only by the grace of God, justified, declared to be righteous in the sight of God through the righteousness of Christ. And so I would say, uh, believers, hear this, believers, remember the gospel. We preach the gospel for unbelievers and for believers. Remember your chains. Remember that verse 3 is not itself the gospel, but it is the necessary prelude to the gospel. Well, secondly, this morning, secondly, not only do you have a beautiful statement of salvation in the gospel that we see there in Titus 3, 4 through 7, but you also have an incredible combination of deep, glorious doctrine and practical matters in Titus chapter 2. In Titus chapter 2, in these, in these 15 verses that go together, you have an incredible combination of deep, I'll be put off by that, of deep, glorious doctrine and very practical matters. Let me just show that to you briefly. First of all, you have a glorious uh, foundation. You have a glorious foundation in verses 11 through 14, which we're not going to look at in really in any uh, depth right at this moment. But look at verse 11. A point here among these 15 verses of Titus chapter 2, because this is, this is the hinge section. It begins a bit of a new section in verse 11, but it all goes together. He says there, for, for, in other words, everything I've been saying in the first 10 verses has as its foundation this, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. Verses 11 through 14, you could say, uh, just like, Four through seven in chapter three, we also see the gospel here. In 11 through 14, we also see the gospel. Notice the end of verse 10. Look at the end of verse 10. So that in everything they may, this is our main theme right here this morning, they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. That's the goal. That's the bread and butter this morning. That's what we're after. We want to commend the gospel of Jesus Christ. That they, the end of verse 10 again, they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. God is our Savior. He is the creator of all. He is the redeemer of his people through Jesus Christ. What is the doctrine of God our Savior? You see that in the end of verse 10? What is the doctrine of, well, in one sense, it's verses 11 through 14. It's the gospel. It's verses 4 through 7 in chapter 3. And so you have this beautiful chapter in Titus chapter 2 as we first of all just notice the big picture. 
You've got the gospel, verses 11 through 14, and then you've got the implications in the church of the gospel. And these two things go together. Verses 1 through 10 are not somehow totally separate, not, and certainly not ways that we in our own power try to please God. It's rooted, it's grounded in verses 11 through 14, the gospel, and then the implications for our lives from the gospel. Number three, not only do we have, first of all, a beautiful statement of salvation and the gospel, justification, Titus 3, 4 through 7, not only do we have a beautiful chapter, kind of narrowing our way down here, landing on verses 1 through 10, not only do we have a beautiful chapter that mingles and shows us the absolute interconnectedness of, of sound doctrine and sound lives. But then, as I've mentioned before, we have teaching that the world finds laughable. Look again at Titus 2, 1 through 10. We do well to read again what David, our brother, read for us. Look at it. And let, let's read it. But as for you, Titus, but as for you, in contrast to the false teachers that I've just been talking about at the end of chapter 1, but as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. By the way, that means the things that go with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled, Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works, and in your teaching show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned. Notice the middle of verse 8 there. So that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Bond servants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering. A good old word there. But showing all good faith. There it is again. There's the payoff. So that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. Titus chapter 2. Maybe if you've uh, been around the church, you've heard about Titus 2 ministry. And Titus is called by Paul to teach I joked earlier about Bodie Bauckham, who I greatly appreciate, and I appreciate also in so many ways his philosophy. It seems, it seems on the surface here that, that maybe we do have warrant for a lot of segregation in the church by age and by gender and by station in life. But of course, uh, Paul is not writing here to say, let's, uh, let's make sure that we have every program under the sun and that and that we're all segregated and that we only come together just for a little bit. No, of course, this would have been read where? 
in the congregation. But nevertheless, as it's been pointed out, ultimately, we all need the same instruction. We are different. And as different genders, as different age groups, as different stations in in life, we have unique temptations. That's one way you can see, well, what was going on here in Crete? Why did he say these things? Well, you just kind of go through verses 1 through 10, and you see you could take the opposite of what he's commending to them in their lives and see that these very things were a temptation. He speaks to older men, or he tells Titus to speak to older men, older women, young men, bond servants. He actually doesn't tell Titus to speak directly to young women, not at all because they're unimportant, as we'll see. But we see these temptations unique to our station. Don Carson said that months before he died, his father wrote in his journal, Oh God, save me from the sins of old men. Months before his father died, Don Carson said, And as I'm writing this, my prayer needs to be, Save me from the sin of middle-aged men. And when we just simply look and we think about what would be the opposite of each thing, we can say, each one of us, wherever we are, Lord, save me from these particular sins. This third heading that we look at, that we're looking at this morning is this. This is teaching that the world finds uh, in many ways laughable. Because, of course, the world rejects the gospel, which is the foundation for this teaching, and in rejecting the only true God and his son, Jesus Christ, therefore, it follows, of course, that they reject the implications of the gospel. Because God not only saves us, but he trains us. If a person is not trained by Jesus Christ, they show themselves not to be saved by Jesus Christ. Of course, one of these in particular is especially, uh, quote-unquote, controversial. We see that there in verses 4 and 5. As Paul writes to Titus, and he says, And so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands. Uh, that the word of God may not be reviled. As I say, if you've been in the church, you've heard of Titus 2 ministry. Oftentimes we think of Titus 2 ministry in terms of women's ministry in the local church. And we see these uh, controversial things, of course, uh, verse 5, that the world, we have to say the world would find verse 5 laughable. Uh, We need to make sure in the church that we don't marginalize these things. Titus chapter 2, I think, when, if we think about Titus chapter 2 ministry at all, we often in our minds default and we go to thinking about the older women teaching the younger women and what we think about in our minds is that in a more formal way. Teaching Bible exposition, teaching theology. And those things can absolutely have their place But of course, if we want to have Titus 2 ministry in our church, and we do, because without the biblical ministry of women in our church, we will not be the church that God has called us to be. 
And so if we want to have Titus 2 ministry in our church, and I'll say it again, and we do, then we need to listen to Titus 2. And I would just make the simple observation, really not profound at all, that Paul clearly is not so much at all speaking about formal teaching in a classroom setting of Bible exposition or theology as much as he is clearly, he's not telling Titus himself to say anything to the young women. He's saying, Titus, you teach the older women who are to what? Who are to informally, informally, personally teach the younger women and help them where? In the domestic sphere of life. So we want to be a Titus 2 church. And so in the last decades, we have been blessed with so many good Christian books. I know it may sound funny, but most Christian books are junk. Most Christian books are terrible, not helpful. That being said, we've been blessed also with many helpful books in the last decades. We have been blessed with books uh, by ladies like Nancy Guthrie and Jen Wilkin writing really good biblical teaching and exposition. And at the same time, we have found that even uh, some of these trustworthy ladies have begun to, in some ways, create what I would call is an unhelpful angst in the church of Jesus Christ. That we need uh, more uh, women in leadership. We are debating in the Southern Baptist Convention about women preachers, clearly against Scripture. Women teaching mixed audiences, we, we will not go there. But what we do need is Titus 2 ministry. What we announced is that what you have come to find to be very predictable at Crossway Church is something you can just kind of predict is that we're going to have a, a men's meeting almost every month. And we've had ladies' Bible studies, and, and those things can be excellent. But what we want is, in fact, to be a Titus 2 church. We want to be a Titus 2 church, and so we need to listen to the Scripture. We want to say, well, how do we do this? We want to encourage the older ladies. Who is that? Well, one way you could say it is the post-menopause, post-menopausal ladies. And the younger would be pre-menopause. Or, as Alistair Begg helpfully puts it, though we, you know, you can think post-menopause, pre-menopause, but you can also think about a 35-year-old training a 25-year-old, or a 30-year-old, a 20-year-old, or a 75-year-old, a 25-year-old. And so, older ladies, I want to call you. I want to call you to take one or three under your wing. This is happening, and we desire to see it happen all the more. In fact, I began by mentioning the men's meetings. We'd be happy to see uh, Titus 2 ladies' ministry happening more frequently than once-a-month men's meetings. We'd love that. Again, what is that? That is personal, informal training in the domestic sphere of life. We want this ministry. John MacArthur has said this. He says, no biblical standard 
Speaking of verses 4 and 5, no biblical standard is more viciously attacked today than the God-ordained role of women in society. And no passage is more ridiculed and reinterpreted by assailants within the church than these two verses. Hey, by the way, this is a call for us as men as well and for husbands. It says here, as it says many times in Scripture, that women are to submit to their own husbands. This is the only place in Scripture where it says that women are to love their husbands. But if women, if our wives are to submit to us, then we need to remember that we should be men who are leading spiritually. We are the leaders of our home. We should uh, lead in such a way that they submit to us. And that includes, of course, knowing passages like this and ordering our lives, our family lives accordingly, according to this passage. Let me move past this in just a minute, but first let me just say this. I find Andreas Kostenberger so helpful here. I want to speed along to the main theme, but before we do that, remember we've said you have a beautiful statement of salvation in the gospel. You have a combination of deep doctrine and very practical matters in chapter 2. You have teaching that the world finds laughable, but which we need so desperately in order to be the church that God would have us to be. And we want to quickly speed ahead to our main theme, which is lives that adorn the gospel. But as I say before I do that, let me just sum this up as Kostenberger says. While marriages are to be strong, young women need other significant relationships. While marriages should be strong, young women need other significant relationships. So that, that's, that's older, godly women. Older, godly women. Which may mean that you have to prod them, young ladies, young women, and you may have to go to them. And I'm encouraging the older ladies as well to take up this mantle as I say, as is happening, let it happen all the more. Let us have the vital ministry of women in the church. Kostenberger says, love of husbands comes before love of children. All this is from the text. All this is from the text. Love of husbands comes before love of children. In an age, he says, in an age when devotion to married life and child rearing is often disparaged, Paul speaks of the blessing God has in store for women who defy secular stereotypes and focus on their God-given calling related to family and the home. I'm not even speaking this morning about the whole debated issue of whether this passage opens that door for women to work outside the home or not. Don't hear what I'm not saying. Hear what I'm saying. Hear what the scripture says. Hear what the scripture says. All of this is for one purpose. All of this is for one purpose that is actually easy to miss. There are three phrases here, three verses that are like support beams, like support bars here in Titus chapter 2 that we might gloss over but actually give us the reason, the so what, for all of this. First of all, don't forget 
that all of this is rooted in the gospel. Verses 11 through 14 is the foundation for everything he says in verses 1 through 10. Verses 11 through 14, the gospel. Chapter 3, 4 through 7, the gospel. But I want you to notice this, and I think we'll be brief. Started out talking about the Great Commission, right? Evangelism, uh, missions, the Great Commission. But here's what we are saying, is that the gospel produces lives that commend the gospel. The gospel produces lives that, and listen, our lives, church, church, our lives will either commend the gospel in this world or they won't. Our lives will either commend the gospel in this world or they won't. And so this is not This is not in verses 4 and 5. As has been said, this is not woman sit down. This is, in some ways, it's man stand up. But notice what it says. He does not address the younger women. Which, by the way, does not mean young women only receive their teaching from the older women. The ultimate teachers of all in the congregation are the elders. The elders teach the whole congregation. But he says, Titus, you train the, you teach the older women, verse 4, to train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands. Why? Why? That the word of God may not be reviled. We have the gospel and we have lives that flow from the gospel. And you cannot ultimately separate the two. Because those whom God saves, he also trains. And so this is the so what. This is the so what. That the word of God may not be reviled. There is an evangelistic thrust in this. You better believe that you cannot carry out the Great Commission without words. It's preaching. It's teaching. It's evangelism. It's missions. But what Paul is saying here in one sense, please listen, Paul is saying that we can share the gospel with our words and we could possibly undercut the very words that we speak with our lives. He's saying our lives matter. End of verse 5 again, that the word of God may not be reviled. And then in verse 8, he's talking to Titus. And sound speech that cannot be condemned. Why? So that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. It's almost like Paul is writing to Titus, the pastor, and saying, there's a watching world. There's watching false teachers sometimes even in the church. There's people watching in the church who, who are not false teachers. And then there's a world in need of the gospel we talk about the second coming of Christ, so many have not heard of the first coming. And he's saying, let us not only say evangelism, evangelism, let us not only think about door-to-door or missions, but let us remember our lives. Let us remember as a church, this is glorious. This is beautiful. This is like the, the gospel is the diamond. The gospel is the diamond, and our lives, verses 1 through 10, are like the, the prongs on the ring that hold the diamonds. 
and they must both go together. Our lives commend the gospel as believers, or they don't, or they don't. Let us be like that ring prong that highlights, we want to highlight the glorious gospel of grace through Jesus Christ. You see it at the end of verse 5. You see it at the end of verse 8. Remember, these are like support beams that we might just pass over, but this is actually kind of the main thing. And you see it at the end of verse 10. Tell bond servants they shouldn't be argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith. Why? So that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. That's what we want to do. That's what we want to in everything adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. Preach the gospel, and if necessary, use words. That's not a helpful statement. Preach the gospel, it's absolutely necessary to use words. And the scripture plainly teaches, I say again, the end of verse 10, the end of verse 8, the end of verse 5, do you see this evangelistic thrust here? Our lives, church, matter. Doctrine and duty. Belief and behavior. Let us not sunder what God has joined together. i just point out two very quick things and I'm done. Verse 15, Paul says to Titus, sit on a stool and speak in a soft voice about these things in your church. No, no, look at verse 15. Declare these things. Exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. Verse 1. Same thing as verse 15, right? But as for you, Titus, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Teach sound doctrine and teach what goes with it. See? And then the only other thing I'll point out is just Paul writes to different ages, different genders, but we're all sinners. We're all saints through Jesus Christ alone if we are in the church. And just one of these examples that we all need is self-control. Self-control, self-control, self-control. The elders need it, Titus chapter 1. Old men are to be self-controlled. Older women are to make sure that they train the younger women to be what? Self-controlled. Verse 6, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Self-controlled, self-controlled, all of this. Praise God for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because in the gospel, remember verses 11 through 14? In the gospel, he speaks about how Jesus Christ on the cross purchased our redemption. Jesus Christ died in the place of sinners. Jesus Christ died in the place of people who don't have it all together. He didn't come for the righteous. He came for sinners. Training us, verse 12, to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. The cross of Christ is that powerful that it changes us, helps us, those who are out of control, to have self-control to the glory of God. Let us pray together. Let's take a moment of silence. Oh, Lord, help us according to your word. And according to your spirit, humble us under your mighty hand. Lord God, we confess that we don't have the 
evangelistic impulse that we desire to have. We confess that, Lord. It doesn't mean that we all have to be evangelists in exactly the same way at all. But nevertheless, Lord, we, your people, we confess our sins to you this morning. Among those is our lack of concern for a world in need. I confess this, Lord, our lack of brokenness over a lost and dying world. Lord God, help us. We confess our disregard for how our lives affect others. That we think about our own situation and sometimes only our own situation. But Lord, you have made us, especially as Christians, to to rub shoulders in life with the church. God, may you be praised in your church. May you be praised in this church. May sinners be converted, Lord. Help us as, as saints to grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Help us with these things, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.